Blog Talk Radio. Or to war, 
to wage um, war. I don't, I don't like that either. Yeah, just, just to mention. But I'm glad the the hour uh, that yeah. he. Um, you know that um, uh, Cynthia Lennon died. Oh, John Lennon's first wife? Yeah. What did yeah. she wasn't that old? No. What well, happened to her? She was probably in 70 or so. Yeah, she was probably only maybe 70 at the most. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, she passed away. And, uh. I wonder. Yeah. Um, uh, this has been very sad by Cynthia's death. This is from Yoko Ono. She said she was a great person, wonderful mother to Julian. She had strong zest for life and a very felt proud. We two women stood firm in the Beatles family. Please join me in sending love and support to Julian and his very sad time. Oh, that's too bad. And, you know, and uh, I got, she's a Facebook friend, and so is Julian. Sorry to hear that. Oh, boy, Julian looks like his father, doesn't he? Yeah, very much so. So we're looking at a picture, it shows. It shows Julian, uh, Cynthia, Yoko Ono, and Sean. And Sean doesn't look at all like any of them, but... He looks no. like his mother. Yeah, kind of. Anyway. Russia issues international arrest warrant for Rothschild and Soros. What do you think of that, huh? World Truth TV. You know, old Putin is a wily, wily old guy, but, you know... They should have they should have put out an arrest warrant for Rothschild many many years ago, uh, not Rothschild Rothschild and Soros and uh, this guy. Uh, I don't know who that is. This is David Rockefeller. Oh, yeah. I didn't even uh, recognize him. Yeah, uh, Vladimir Putin, now in control of Russia as prime minister, now then now Russia uh, president. Uh, wishes to build a strong Christian nation and a televised Christmas message in January. I don't know what that was. Seventh, two thousand and eight. Why that came out all of a sudden? I don't know. Why did it, what did he say in two thousand and eight? The know. Russian Orthodox Church contributes to the promotion of moral values in society. One should not completely draw a line between the culture and the church. Of course, by law in our country, the church is separate from the state. But in the soul and the history of our people, it's all together. It always has been and always will be. Russia will make the United States reflect upon what they allowed Rothschilds to do to their own country. So when you see protests against Vladimir now, keep in mind it's probably staged by the Rothschilds trying to control Russia once again. Putin issues a West warrant for financial terrorist George <laughs> Soros. Financial terrorist and Hungarian, Hungarian banker, convicted felon George Soros. Russian intelligence has fingered Soros for using cross-collateralized, compounded Swedish and Danish foreign country derivatives for the purpose of an attack on the Russian stock market. Soros' use of these cross-collateralized, compounded derivatives utilizing Luxembourg Bank violates the terms of the Basel II European Union Banking Agreement. The thing that should give pause to the heads of state of Western states is like Putin did in freeing Russia from those who wanted to bring the total economic and social collapse and beat up in jail all those who have tried. They're influencing Lubuchern Putin. Uh, Lubuchern. <laughs> Putin. The fact is that Putin is loyal to Russia and its people and never allows anyone, even when he is in command in that nation, to sell out and to let his country into the clutches of NWO. Now, for this, he ordered to issue an international arrest warrant against George Soros, who's been caught red-handed as he prepared to send financial aid to what is called opposition in Russia, which recently made the streets in dozens of thousands of people telling lies and misinformation cheating during the elections. Now Mr. Soros has a little room to continue his dirty games with the speculation that has devastated the entire global financial system in collaboration with the Rothschilds and the Rockefellers. Putin's speech, which was officially issued by the Russian authorities, Today is made public, the following statement by, and it goes on. But what is Soros known for? For for manipulating uh, national currencies. To to, to, 
and that's how he's made money yeah. on, by and so, and so, destroying you know, hundreds of thousands tried to of do people. That. He tried to do that with a, with a U.S. dollar. He's done yeah. it all everywhere. I mean, and he has no loyalty to us. No, God, no. And there's a, there's a thing here that says, should the U.S. continue to support Israel, it's a, it's a uh, petition. I say no. I say Israel should be left by itself. Yeah. We don't. We should not support Israel at all, at all, at all. The war against special interests. Can t- oh, that was good. Well, we well let's uh, let's yeah. get on to our union. Oh, here's first. something you might be interested in. Ron Paul endorses Ted Cruz, and not his idiot son. No. Well, his son didn't endorse him. No, but his son's an idiot. Period. So I, I guess they're both idiots. idiots. Well, I would like to read some union news on what's going to that. Uh, Walmart workers, you can stand with them on April 15th. While Walmart recently announced that it would raise its minimum wage for many workers, the working families behind the Our Walmart and Making Change at Walmart campaign says that victory, while a start, isn't enough, and that they will continue to call on Walmart to raise wages to a minimum of $15 an hour and offer work as consistent full-time hours. Toward that end, the organizations are standing with fast food and other low-wage workers across the country on April 15th, and they want you to join them in strikes and protests in more than 200 cities in the fight for $15 an hour. Here is the definition of greed. The Koch brothers, worth some $100 billion, now are the Republican candidates they fund to cut Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, and nutrition programs. Oh, nice guys. What a bunch of freaking demons. These guys are demonic, right? Demonic. <coughs> Here's another one. Uh, Nixon, he says, I erased 18 and a half minutes of tape. Hillary erased 30,000 emails. Who's the crooked now? Who's the crook now, huh? Study finds union minds safe are more productive than non-union. Once again, a study has shown that unionized coal mines are not only safer places to work than non-union mines, but the union mines produce more coal. The study by SNNL Energy found that in 2013, unionized mines in northern and central Appalachia produced about 94,091 tons of coal per injury versus 71,110 in non-union mines, despite research suggesting that unionized miners are more likely to report injuries that have occurred on their jobs. So they're more productive and safer, which is good. Oh, there's something. The Chris Christie Cabernet. Yes. The complete list of wines oh. in New Jersey that may contain poisonous arsenic. Must have been one of his. That's what I said, the Chris Christie Cabernet. A complete wine list of of horrible wines. All right, uh, there there may be some union guys involved with this, but I'm sorry, you're you're poisoning your your fellow people. A class action lawsuit filed Thursday claims that many inexpensive brands of wine contain illegal and dangerously high levels of poisonous inorganic arsenic. It uh it's been just one day since a report to the lawsuit made its rounds on social media. However, the news still hasn't spread far and wide, and your local Connecticut wine retailer might not have heard about it. Franzia, Manage a Trois, Sir Sutter Home, Wine Cube, Charles Shaw, Ellen, Glen Ellen, Cupcake, Behringer, and Vendage are some of the popular brands cited in the lawsuit, according to court documents. Only two Trader Joe's in New Jersey one in Princeton and the other in Westfield, are licensed to sell liquor in the state and carry the Charles Shaw wine, uh, two-buck chuck, okay? And according to Storr's uh, representative who declines to be identified, Charles Shaw was named in the suit. The representatives say that they're taking the matter seriously but insist the fears over arsenic are exaggerated and that the wine contains less of the substance than drinking water. Well, court documents... Uh, alleged three separate testing laboratories skilled in arsenic testing each confirmed that several California wineries are producing wine with high levels of toxin, in some cases up to 500% uh, or more. 
Then that is considered the maximum uh, level. Right, but also New Jersey wineries here. I didn't even know they had them. But there's a ton of lists. There's a huge well, list. All right, we also want to keep our eye on the trade agreements, the AFL-CIO and this Canadian uh, trade um, workers denounce corporate power grabs like ISDS and trade deals. Let's read about that. On Monday, the AFL-CIO and the Canadian Labor Congress reaffirmed their cross-border cooperation in the struggle for people and planet-centered trade, especially in three pending trade deals that would grant corporations extraordinary legal rights and power over each nation's legal system. The three pending trade deals are the Trans-Pacific Partnership, the Comprehensive Economic and Trade Agreement, and the Transatlantic Trade and Investment Partnership. The most egregious provision in the trade deals is that the two labor federations say must be changed is the Investor-to-State Dispute Settlement, or ISDS. The ISDS provides extraordinary legal rights to foreign investors so that they can seek taxpayer reimbursement for losses to expected profits from laws, regulations, administrative decisions, or virtually any other government measure. The rights protected go far beyond traditional property rights in its private tribunals, a staff not by professional jurists formed to promote the public interest, but by for-profit attorneys, many of whom represent investors when they are not sitting in judgment. The ISDS allows the foreign property owner to skip domestic courts, administrative procedures, city hall hearings, and the like, all the processes that homegrown property owners use, and sue the host country government before a panel of private arbitrators, like judges. Arbitrators have the power to make decisions in cases, but they are not democratically elected or appointed and they're not subject to stringent conflict of interest rules. Not only that, but the foreign property owners don't lose access to the domestic U.S. process. They can double dip to get what they want. In their statement, the AFL-CIO and the CLC said, such extreme rights to challenge democracy are not good for domestic business, which cannot use this private justice mechanism not good for citizens who may see popular policies withdrawn by government order in order to avoid adverse judgments, and not good for the rule of law, which is undermined by the separate parallel system for foreign investors only. The two labor groups also said they will not cease in our efforts to promote good jobs, rising wages, and strong social safety nets state-of-the-art public services and infrastructure, and an end to the corporate power grab like ISDS in all pending trade and investments, uh, trade and investment agreements. So it's very dangerous. Very, yeah. very. A little private court all staffed by their cronies to yeah. get what they want, and then you can't appeal it? Yeah. Why are foreigners going to tell us how to run our country? I have no idea. But and why know. would you sign something like that? Because they're idiots, and they're controlled by, you know... The New World the Order. New World Order. Which one is a real entitlement? This is this was funny. Really. Which one is the real entitlement? Check out the free order. Living off the system points the congressman to some poor little Social Security. Oh, and Social Security. Social Security. He's paid, in, paid into it all his life to live off a of, uh, measly $14,000 a year. Congressional benefits, free health care, enormous pensions, 67 paid holidays, and unlimited sick time, etc. Something seems unfair about this. Yeah. Yeah. Who's living off the dole? Goddamn Congress. I just can't close them all down. Send them home. And just, you know, that's what we should do. Close Congress. Yeah. Princeton concludes what kind of government America really has, and it's not a democracy. No, it's a fascist. Government. Well, they say, but uh, oligarchy, plutocracy, you know. But it's coming up here. Yes, indeed. A scientific study from Princeton researcher Martin Gillens and Northwestern researcher Benjamin Page has finally put some science behind the 
recently popular argument that the United States isn't a democracy anymore, no. and they found that, in fact, America is basically an oligarchy. An oligarchy is a system where power is effectively wielded by a small number of individuals defined by their status called oligarchs. Members of the oligarchy are the rich, the well-connected, and the politically powerful, as well as particularly well-placed individuals in institutions like banking and finance or the military. For their study, Gillens and Page compiled data from roughly 1,800 different policy initiatives in the years between 1981 and 2002. They then compared those policy changes with the expressed opinion of the United States public. Comparing the the preferences of the American, uh, average American of the 50th percentile of income to that, those Americans at the 90th, 90th percentile we've preferred, as well as the opinions of major lobbying or business groups, the researchers found that the government followed the directives set forth by the latter too much too often. Right? Yep. Yeah. So it's uh, beyond alarming. As Gilliams and Page write, the preferences of the average American appear to have only a minuscule, near zero, status statistically non-significant impact on public policy. In other words, their statistics say your opinion literally does not matter. All right? That might explain why uh, mandatory, uh, that might explain why mandatory background checks on gun sales supported by 83 to 91% of Americans are in place, or why uh, Congress has taken no action on greenhouse gas emissions even when such legislation is supported by the vast majority of citizens. This problem has been steadily escalating for four decades. While there are some limitations to that data set, economist uh, Tom, Thomas Picardy and Emmanuel Serres uh, constructed income statistics based on IRS data that go back to 1913. They found that the gap between the ultra-wealthy and the rest of us is much bigger than you would think, as mapped by these graphs for the Center on Budget and Policy Priorities. All right. But Pickardy and Sarah has also calculated that as September 2013, the top 1% of earners had captured 95% of all income gains uh, since the Great Recession ended. And the other 99% saw a net 12% drop in their income. So not only is oligarchy making the rich richer, is driving policy that makes everyone else poorer. What kind of all? What kind of oligarchy? Gillens and Page's findings provide support for two theories of governance: economic elite domination and bias pluralism. The first is pretty straightforward and states that the ultra wealthy wield all the power in a given system. Though some argue that this system still allows elites and corporations and the government to become powerful as well. Here, power does not necessarily derive from wealth, but those in power almost invariably come from the upper class. Bias pluralism, on the other hand, argues that the entire system is a mess and interest groups ruled by the elites are fighting for dominance over the political process. Also, because of their vast wealth of resources, interest groups, of large businesses tend to dominate a lot of the discourse. In either case, the result is the same. Big corporations, the ultra-wealthy, and special interests with lots of money and power essentially make all the decisions. Citizens wield little to no political power. America, the findings indicate, tends toward either of these much more than anything else close to what we call democracy. Systems such as majoritarian electoral democracy or majoritarian pluralism, under which the policy choices pursued by the government would reflect the opinions of the governed. And no, this isn't a problem that's the result of any recent Supreme Court crisis, at least certainly like FEC versus Citizen United or FEC versus McCutcheon. The data is pretty clear that America has been sliding steadily into oligarchy for decades, mirrored in both the substantive effect on policy and the distribution of wealth throughout the U.S. The cases like those might indicate the process is accelerating. 
Perhaps economic elites and interest group leaders enjoy greater political expertise than the average citizen does. Gillard and Page write, perhaps they know better which policies will benefit everyone. Perhaps they seek the common good rather than the selfish ends when deciding which policies to support. Yeah, maybe. Well, we tend to doubt it. Yeah. So, anyway. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, interesting. Really sucks. Mm-hmm. Really ultimately sucks. Oh, and our regular... Leading to nationalize Rothschild Central Bank. Oh, good for him. And uh, he's doing the right thing, you know, in a lot of ways. But, you know... Putin is to nationalize the Rothschild-controlled Central Bank of Russia in an effort to stabilize the declining ruble. Under the Constitution, the CBR belongs to a foreign state and city of London and is taking orders from London and Washington. This bank can only print money corresponding to its cash in foreign currency, which is not sufficient for Putin's purposes. The CBR even has to buy worthless U.S. bonds for the dollars paid for Russian oil, whereby the dollar returned to the Fed. Moreover, Putin is under pressure from the West, uh, which wants to overthrow and replace him with Western-minded oligarchs. Um, Thus, the U.S. ambassador to Moscow, Teft, is said to have made it very clear, we will displace Putin from office and install our people as leader of the government. He even mentioned the person by name and appoint and, and appoint ministers. Huh. Yeah. So no wonder Putin's pissed. Huh? Huh. Therefore, Putin now needs a strong army to prevent Russia's submission to the U.S. Well, Fedor, uh, Fedorov said in an interview, a split in the Russian elite took place two months ago as part of the elite decided to stay with Putin. Putin then made his decision which defines that the events to follow. Um, furthermore, the logic of, one, a state of emergency, or two, geopolitical war, entered into force while we are under pressure. What this means is America now cannot diminish their pressure, while, B, they just enjoy the pressure because it forces us technologically into a national liberation. For many years, we could not obtain the offshoring, but America, American pressure has performed this in one day. Putin must now mercilessly clean the fifth column and in our central bank, the Ministry of Finance, the Ministry of Economy. But above all, Putin sees the West as a big speculator against the ruble. Sure. To put the plan straightforward, a split in the government one identification of the fifth column in government and business and media, three, uh, purge, and four, a parallel active position on the Ukraine because Ukraine and Russia is the same, like Putin said. And with these words, he defined his position and strategy for Russia. Well, nationalization of the Central Bank of Russia would be the first signal and mean the final breach with Rothschild, City of London, the British Empire, the British Bankster's crown, and its tool, the United States. Their relationship has been tense since Putin's seizure of the Rothschild uh, uh, Chodorkowski's Yuko shares, and therefore Putin hesitates with the nationalization. He also still needs authorization to enforce this plan as a strongman. For this, he needs a great necessity, which is uh, supposedly eminent because of U.S. aggression. I think that's interesting. What do you think? Yeah. I do. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. Well, here's something. Do you think we should look at that? Which one is that? I don't believe it at all. Warren Buffett reveals how anyone with $40 could become a millionaire. Let's read that and see if that's true. I think that's that's worthy of of the... I think most union people have 40 bucks somewhere. What do you think? Oh, yeah. I think so. Most people can come up with 40 bucks somewhere. All right. Warren Buffett tells you how to turn 40 dollars into 10 million. All right, Warren. <laughs> Warren Buffett is perhaps the greatest investor of all time, and he has a simple solution that could help an individual turn $40 into 10 million. 
A few years ago, Berkshire Hathaway, CEO and chairman, Warren Buffett spoke about one of his favorite companies, Coca-Cola, and how after dividends, stock splits, and patient patient reinvestment, someone who uh, bought just $40 worth of of company stock when it went public in 1919 would now have more than $5 million. Wow. Well, I wasn't around in 1919. You'd have to wait a... You'd have to have have generational money. Yeah, and, uh, you know, 40... Somebody who spent 40 bucks now and and waited a whole century to do with $5 million. So, but that's probably what 40 bucks back in 1919 was worth. Today's money. Mm-hmm. So about five million. <laughs> Yet in April 2012, when the board of directors proposed a stock split of the beloved soft drink manufacturer, that figure was updated, and the company noted that original forty dollars would now be worth nine point eight million dollars. A little back of the uh, envelope math of the uh, total return of Coke since May 2012 would mean that nine point eight million. It's now worth about $10.8 million. Wow. Okay. So that original $40 investment in 1919 on Coca-Cola would now be worth $9.8 million. Or no, sorry, $10.8 million to its original investor. Hmm. I know that $40 in 1919 is very different from $40 today. However, even after factoring for inflation, it turns out to be $540 in today's money. <laughs> what? <laughs> okay. But... Put differently, would you ha- rather have an Xbox One or almost $11 million? Okay. What kind of time? So, I don't know. Um, what do you think? Well, I wasn't, around, that, I wasn't what, around in 1910. Well, you're saying that $40 then is equal to $540 today. It probably is. All right. But if you had invested that $540 equivalent back in 1919, today it would be worth $10.8 million because of how incredible Coca-Cola has become. The dangers of timing. And as Buffett has noticed continually, it's terribly dangerous to admit to time uh, the market. (laughs) So often investors are told they must attempt to time the market, begin investing when the market is on the rise, and sell when the market is falling. So anyway, if you're a genius like 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 uh, Warren Buffett and have a billions and billions of billions of dollars to to invest, all right, then I suppose you know, you know that's cool. But if you don't, too bad. Right, Lila? Yep. So big deal. Ah. What else is happening? Antisocial behavior is a trait of intelligence in a world full of conformists. Nikolai Tesla. Mm. Yeah, he was right. Don't you think? To a degree, yeah, he was. I think he's right. So anyway, let's see what we got here. We have more. What is this one? Uh, well, President Obama just called for a constitutional amendment to overturn Citizens United and get money out of politics. What do you think of that? Good band. Should have done that a long time ago. Don't you think? Yeah. Uh, uh, well, now he's not running for anything. He doesn't, he doesn't need the yeah. money. Right? Well, that's the other point there. He doesn't need the money. Yeah. Well, uh, end of the week, winners and losers to this week. The union usually does, does that. The winners, AFT and the Coca-Cola com- Company, for teaming up to fight child labor. Runners-up has asked me for pulling its 2015 Women's Conference out of Indiana after the state passed a bill that allows business to discriminate against lesbian, gay, and transgender Americans. The Losers, the Association for Responsible Alternative to Workers' Compensation, a new corporate front group whose goal is to reward workers' compensation is to rewrite workers' compensation laws around the country to make them more anti-worker. And the run-up is T-Mobile. After the National Labor Relations Board Administrative Law Judge found the company 
guilty of voiding federal labor laws. So. Well, anyway, in Milwaukee County, big raises for bosses, nothing for workers. This is from Ashley. Um, Milwaukee County's Department of Health and Human Services Director, Hector Cohen, <laughs> uh, uh, just received a 39% raise in pay. Recently, thanks to Milwaukee County Executive Chris Alvey, but for the other 4,000 county workers, Alvey can't find a dime to spare. Imagine giving a guy a 40% raise. Okay, Chris Alvey says he wants to reward good work, but he forgets about the hardworking of county employees who keep our roads safe, maintain our parks, ensure our water is clean, and care for our elderly and most vulnerable. Said Boyd Kamish, Executive Director of AFME, Milwaukee Council 48. But like so many politicians, he's preoccupied with rewarding his cronies. Colon, or Colon, <laughs> a good name for this guy, the Colon, okay, uh, raise of 48000 he got a $48,682 raise. Oh, my God. What did he do? Yeah, well, put him at $175,000 in the stroke of Albany spent. And there are now nine county managers who are paid more than $129,000 a year, according to 2015 salary figures, and many were given raises without public notice. County Board Chairman Marina Dimajibic uh, criticized uh, LB for giving these raises without informing the public. Well, Dimajibic uh, specifically questioned uh, Alby could justify a 39% boost to Cohen's pay just a few months after the administration board debated cuts in funding for homeless shelters and indigent indigent burials and closing the public pools. Oh my God! It seems out of balance when it comes to employee compensation. In the mean, it seems out of uh, it. In the meantime, low wages for most county employees have hurt job recruitment for county positions and created more uh, turnover as employees moved to similar jobs in other counties that pay more. Problematic. 
for many American workers, particularly in the face of wage stagnation and a lack of investment expertise, for them, the Green 401k experiment has been a failure. In America, when we had disability and divine benefit plans, you actually had an equality of retirement period. Now the rich can retire and workers have to work until they die, said Teresa Gill-Arducey, a labor economist at the New School for Social Research, who has promised eliminating the tax breaks for 401ks and using the money saved to create government-run retirement plans. It was supposed to work out this way. It wasn't supposed to work out this way. Uh, yeah, a historical absence. 401k account came into being quite quietly as a clause in the Revenue Act of 1978. The clause said employees could choose their, to defer their compensation until retirement, and they would not be taxed until that time. Well, companies had long offered deferred compensation arrangements with employers, and the IRS had been going back and forth for, about the tax treatment. 401ks were never designed as the nation's primary retirement system, said Anthony Webb, a research economist. Um, and he said they came to be that as a historical accident. History has it that a benefits consultant named Ted Bina realized the provision could be used as a retirement savings vehicle for all employees. In 1981, the IRS clarified that 401k plans participants could defer regular wages, not just bonuses, and the plans began to proliferate. By 1985, there were 30,000 401k plans in existence, and 10 years later, that figure topped 200,000. As of 2010, there were 638 plans in place <laughs> with 89 million participants. Okay. Company Institute and assets and defined contribution plans total of $6.6 .6 the third quarter, yeah. So anyway, we got everybody got screwed. Okay. Uh, anyway, let's let's move on to something okay. more. Maybe we can get something more thrilling. The passing of Howard Johnson's America. Oh, that, they uh, yeah, that's, uh, they had a big plant in my hometown, Wallace, Massachusetts. They had a plant everywhere. They, had, they, they were everywhere on the uh, interstate highways. Yeah, but they made their ice cream in Wallace. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. Oh, that's cool. Well, for some reason, the passing of Howard Johnson's is passing us because it's not coming up as, a, as an article now, for some reason. Okay, well, let's, be, let's move to another one. It must have to go back into some horrible buffering. The Howard Johnson's is so old, they probably can't even have a you know, postgazette.com. Whatever the hell that is. I don't know. Okay. Sorry. Lake Placid, New York. Once upon a time, there are orange roots, rot, uh, iron weather veins, and green leather banquettes were the emblems of a nation. They were, they truly were, as the advertisement declared, landmarks for hungry Americans. Yeah. But as Americans, I guess there's more to that. As Americans. Yeah, there is, but I can't get the damn. Oh, well, you can't get in there, huh? For some reason. Taking forever to pull it up. There we oh. go. Ah. Kind of sad. Yeah. Oh, come on. Takes a minute. Okay. As Americans uh, took no, no, to no, their no. automobiles in the post war world, they had to eat, and more than anywhere they ate at Howard Johnson's. How Joe's that became known was the most successful of the early chain restaurants in the U.S. Eventually, there were some 1,000 of them nearly ubiquitous and nearly uniform on the highway and commercial drags of a country on the move. There were also Howard Johnson's motor lodges. Right. Now the restaurants are all but gone. Today, the Howard Johnson's in Lake Placid, a resort town in the Adirondacks of upstate New York that twice hosted the Olympics, will close after 57 years in business. Only two Howard Johnson's restaurants will remain, in Bangor, Maine, and Lake George, New York. I remember that one. Yeah, there used to be one in Portland, Maine, too. Like, they came off the, if he came off the highway, uh, 495, going into Portland, Maine. There used to be one right there. Remember that big, big one? Yeah. Uh, the rest station is Howard Johnson. 
Uh, at the end of ninety well not the end but uh, when you go up through Maine you get into Bangor and at the end of ninety five which is home from Maine out there I don't know if there was one up there but there definitely was one in Bangor that's been there forever as a boy from Maine I I know that well the owners here in Lake Placid has been running there Howard Johnson since nineteen fifty eight but they were getting on their children weren't interested the new owners local folks will open a high end roadside diner. But it's not the closing of a restaurant that stings here. It's that some, something warm, comforting, and familiar is passe. The Orange Roof was the forerunner of the Golden Arches. McDonald's and its fast food cousins would soon dominate the road, challenged later by Applebee's, Ruby Tuesdays, and other full-service establishments. But none means quite the same to generations that grew up with Howard Johnson's. For them, the end of the commercial icon is the end of something personal. It was the baby boomers born between 1946 and 1964 who recall Howard Johnson's with particular nostalgia today. They devoured their hot dogs, sliced and cooked in butter, and the grilled hamburger and fries while their parents had fried clams and beef short ribs. There was New England clam chowder, cheesesteaks, and the New York strip, or liver and onions with bacon and mashed potatoes, or beef and sausage meatloaf and the fish fry on Fridays. It's bright and cheerful, says Don Draper of Mad Men, as he sits at the groaning table in a Howard Johnson's in 1966. I used to love their fish fry. Kids have candy, a bar for mom and dad. The food was simple, but so were tastes, and much of the roadside food seemed to taste better then. Besides, if you were a kid, it was dessert that mattered most anyway. The Ark and Covenant of Howard Johnson's, the siren's call across the generations, was ice cream. They were famously 28 favorites. The republics of chocolate and vanilla were enhanced by macaroon, maple walnut, frozen pudding, pineapple, cherry burgundy, and fruit salads, which could not have been for the kids. They used to have all-you-could-eat, all-you-could-eat uh, fish fry and uh, clams on, uh, I think it was Thursday night. They had all-you-could-eat. All Clams, and it, in West Hartford, in Connecticut, where I used to live, and I used to go down there. And it was it was so reasonable. You could for like five bucks, you could eat all you can eat. You know what I mean? That's not that was back in the old days. That was back in the seventies. So for a generation, half of which is now pushing sixty, the end of Howard Johnson's is another piece of the past broken off and broken up. It's one of life's moorings come undone, but no different and every other generation watching carriage things disappear, but hard nonetheless. For us, it was wood fires in the fireplace, crackling and hissing, and not today's artificial gas contraptions that produce flames that flicker at a switch. It was a telephone conversation, not a text message, when the call was clear and continuous. It was airplanes that made flying glamorous. Remember when appliances lasted decades and two sweaters are enough? We remember when that has to be caught. We remember when public language was lucid and clean, free of euphemism and profanity. We remember when people used terrific rather than first names honorific rather than first names, when politicians spoke in sentences rather than sound bites. We remember when people voted in politics, as John F. Kennedy put it, was an honorable profession. We remember when people dressed smartly because elegance was a great note of life. In their 20s, Peter, Paul, and Mary's looked resplendent performing in concerts. Today in their 70s, Peter and Paul no longer care what they wear. We remember <laughs> when guests did not walk through hotel lobbies and bathrooms and sweatpants stayed in the gym. Dignity trumped comfort. It seems all around us we see the erosion of manners, dress, and language. A genteel, genteel collapse of standards. Call it the decline of everything. It was different at Howard Johnson's. It was a different time, yes. So no Shangri-La. Cold Wall, Lily White America was segregated, somnolent, and violent. There was asbestos in schools, bomb shelters in basements, and litter on the roads, lead in the paint and gasoline. Cars had no seatbelts and cigarettes had no warnings. That's true. That's true. This guy has to be over 60. Of course, we forget <laughs> that. Whatever else was unpleasant about the period, what we remember 
what we will always remember was Howard Johnson's America. Remember what we were, what we had, and what we have lost along the way. And you call is a journalist professor and author. His latest book is Two Days in June, John F. Kennedy and the 48 Hours Ministry. The funny, you know, the funny thing was, you know, you know, when he said the litter on the road, I remember so well when I was a kid, and we were driving, you know, driving on the main interstates and stuff. God, I couldn't believe what people, people would throw stuff out their windows. You know, remember that? No. You don't? I, oh, no. come on. You don't remember that? Come no, on. No, really, I don't. Oh, yeah, Jesus. People were pigs back then. They, they would well, throw they stuff right the hell out of the window, you know, and you'd see litter and Howard no. Johnson's wrappers and stuff all over the, I don't all remember over that. the road, everywhere. Oh, no. it was a pigsty everywhere. My God. Mm, the interstate highways were terrible. People just had no no, no respect for nothing. They well, they still crap don't. everywhere. No, it's a lot better than this because they, they fine you now. Back then they didn't. But, uh, you know, I, there's a lot of stuff that used to happen out there. Like, like the guy said, segregation, you know, uh, asbestos everywhere, you know. Nobody mm-hmm. nobody gave a damn about anything. You know, no seat belts. People, you know, flew out of the windows and crashed up like crazy. Cigarettes had no warnings. <laughs> it was a crazy-ass time. But... Uh, in fact, you know what's funny? I don't even know if I'd ever even want to eat a hot uh, 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 I used to like them, uh, Howard Johnson hot dogs. I don't think I'd eat one today. Sure. You know what? Because uh, they really weren't that They really were kind of, you know, gross. What can I tell you? Anyway, okay. Uh, uh, we're almost we're getting close to the end of this guy. But look at this. Now, yeah, Dennis Jackson sent this up to us, Lana. Oh, good. Yeah. Um, but uh says uh That was thoughtful of him. So what did he yeah, have here? Well he shows us that Jesus said, Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Indiana governor says eliminate food stamps to sixty five thousand residents. Oh, what a beast. Jesus said, Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Governor of Indiana says, Give corporations the largest tax break in history. Jesus says, and Mary gave birth to her firstborn son in the manger because they were homeless. And the Indiana governor says, provide zero state funding for homeless shelters. What a crook. Okay. Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. Indiana governor says, sign discrimination law that targets their lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transsexual neighbors. Transgender. Transgender. What did I say? Transsexual? Yeah. Transgender. I, well, I don't know. Anyway, I, I opposed what he said. I don't know all these. I, I know what a lesbian, gay, and bisexual, transgender? Yeah. Or transsexual? No, a transgender. Transgender. Okay. Gender, they change their sexuality. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Bruce Jenner. Yeah. All right. Well, well, he hasn't yet. I don't know. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he's going through the whole thing. <laughs> Mike, Indiana Governor Mike Pence claims he's a Christian, but his actions are the polar opposite of Jesus' teaching as Governor Pence eliminated food stamps and uh, closed health care clinics and signed a uh, statement uh, law discriminating against uh, gays. And Pence is not alone, but rather represents the new face of the Christian right, a hollow shell of hatred and intolerance wrapped in the name of a prophet who they long ago abandoned, shared to make uh, hypocrites' heads explode. <laughs> I did. I thought that was good. Huh. Yeah, thank you, Dennis. Uh, American researchers discover stupidity virus. It's true. Oh, boy. Uh, oh, yeah. My breaking news. Monsanto admits to having an entire department that does nothing but work to debunk or, more accurately, discredit independent science. Immense political and financial weight brought to bear on scientists who dare to publish against them. The Anti-Science Discredit Bureau, Monsanto, exposed. Yeah, that's something. So what makes them the... Uh, the gods of life. Yeah. Well, anyway. Well, because they, they are who they are, you know. The bad news just keeps coming. Monsanto mm-hmm. uh, caught with their pants down again. Monsanto's Dr. Williams, Bill Moore, 
presented to a group of agriculture students the latest project in their product pipeline dealing with RNA and spoke about Monsanto's efforts to educate citizens about the scientific certainty of the safety of the genetically engineered product. Well, one student asked what Monsanto was doing to counter the bad science around their work. Well, Dr. Moore, perhaps forgetting that this was a public event, then revealed that Monsanto indeed had an entire department dedicated to debunking science which disagreed with theirs. And Monsanto's Anti-Science Discredit Bureau has been exposed, labeled GMO and boycott GMOs and ban GMOs. Yes. So anyway, that's the way it is, folks. Monsanto, you know, is in your, is in your, uh, everything. Oh, this is so funny. You want to hear this? Yeah, go ahead. This was so funny. Here's a, here's a little college humor, but it's, it's very real in a way. It's why, <laughs> the real reason you're circumcised. <laughs> and this is what it kind of tells you how, how, how everybody gets brainwashed into craziness and, and how cultural things happen. You know that? Yeah. Yeah. Hi there. Oh, I see you're circumcised. But wait, you're not Jewish or Muslim. That's kind of strange, don't you think? What? No, it's normal. What? Actually, it's not. <laughs> Hi, I'm Adam Conover. I remember you, Adam. And apart from those two religions and a few African tribes, America is actually one of the only cultures that practices circumcision. Yet, most of us don't even know why we do it. Would you like to? Not right now, man. Oh, just get it over with. <laughs> to learn more, let's go back in time to the day you were circumcised. <laughs> God, no. By the time your tip got snipped, circumcision had been a tradition for generations. Would you like circumcised, Brian? Uh, yeah, I guess. I mean, this should look like mine, right? Okie doke. No! But the source of that tradition is real weird. This should look like mine, right? This should look like mine, right? Yep, better cut them. Goes back in the 1920s people started to circumcise. What? Yep. Though religious circumcision has been practiced in the Middle East for millennia, no one did it in the West until the sex-phobic days of the late 19th century, when puritanical doctors promoted it as a way to stop your kids from committing their favorite sin. Observe the vile masturbator, the sallow complexion, the rotten teeth, and the open sores. Actually, I think I have syphilis. Syphilis, caused by masturbation. One prominent advocate of dick-docking was, and I'm not making this up, John Harvey Kellogg, the inventor of cornflakes. My cure is twofold. A diet rich in flaked corn. And cutting off parts of the penis. Victorian crews like Kellogg just straight up hated sex and thought that by pruning your Peter, they could make it less pleasurable, taming your base, lustful instincts. And, uh... You don't even want to know what they thought you should do to women. Just apply a little carbolic acid to the clitoris. Yikes! Thank God that one didn't catch on. Being circumcised doesn't stop me from masturbating. Yeah, I know. That's why it's so weird we still do it. But isn't it cleaner or something? No. Maybe in biblical times it helped prevent infection, but nowadays you can just wash your dingus. Circumcision has been found to somewhat reduce the risk of HIV transmission, but so do condoms, and they don't require you to uh, chop your dick off. Okay, but foreskins are useless. Actually, Brian, the foreskin plays an important role in sex. It's a natural lubricant, contains millions of nerve endings, and it protects the glass from being desensitized. Thanks, Bert. Sorry, bud. But if you're uncircumcised, girls will think your dick looks weird. Oh, an interesting theory. Let's test it. Does this dick look weird? Yep. All right, does uh, this dick look weird? Yep. And does this dick look weird? Yeah. All dicks look weird. Thanks, man. Look, if you like being circumcised, fine. There's no harm in it, but there's also no benefit to it. And the only reason you're circumcised is because the 19th century crew who invented cornflakes was trying to ruin your sex life. Well, that didn't take long. If I can't That was really funny. I, I just wanted to, I, you know, it, it was odd, but the thing is, is that things happen in cultures that have no sense, that make no sense, and it's not just that. And Monsanto and GMOs and, uh, you know, everything that goes on is as crazy as it is 
to the extreme of circumcision in society. Uh, we all, you know, everything is, is the same. So we just wanted to say <laughs> uh, good night, everybody. Yep, absolutely. Thanks for joining us, and welcome to the absurdity of, of the world. Yeah. And uh, we hope you survive the next uh, week. And, uh, are, you going to be on, are you going to be on tomorrow night? I am going to be on tomorrow night, and I'm going to be reading from a book called um, Fourth Dimensional Thinking, Thinking from the Fourth Dimension. Oh, well, that's good. Yeah. So, that folks, very, you want to tune in for that show. In the meantime, have an a enjoyable rest of the week yeah. and a happy holiday weekend. All right. All right. Good night, folks. Have a good night, everybody.